Welcome to the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd, Pelham, Alabama podcast. Heavenly Father, we bless you and we thank you, Lord, for the giving of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we ask truly, Lord, that we hear the great things that he hath done. And today we ask that you help us to have ears to hear the gospel that was just read and all of Holy Scripture just read to us. And Lord, by the meditations of my mouth, be solely focused upon that word which you have delivered, the written word of God, which proclaims the ever-living word of God, Jesus Christ. By and through him, and through the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray, one God. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So I joked with the, uh, the first service at uh, 9 o'clock, and I'll joke with y'all, that on the Psalter lesson, I saw that uh, Epitaph was on there. And so I made sure to do it responsibly by whole verse, just to make y'all try to say but um, it's not true. But uh, halfway through on the, the first uh, service when I was reading it, uh, I saw it coming up. I was like, this is going to be interesting. But y'all did a lot better than they did. Don't tell them I said that. It's recorded, but they've already been to service. So they probably won't see this one. But uh, that being said, what I want to talk to you today about is that we're at the fourth Sunday of Advent. And we have been focused on the second coming of Advent, of Christ's return. And Christ's return is a return to judgment, a return to glory of our King finally returning to us. And yet, we've been preparing this whole time for the, not the first coming, but the second coming. And now we turn towards the first coming of Christ. Because without the first coming, without the babe in the manger, the second coming would be pure judgment for all of us. None of us would be redeemed if it was not for that first coming, that first advent of Jesus Christ. And so... I want to bring to your attention that I'm going to talk about several arcs, A-R-K, not A-R-C, like an, an electric arc, which I have encountered before, but survived, fortunately. But the arc of God. Because there's several arcs that are referenced here. And I'm going to go through as quickly as possible, but it's something I want you to keep in your mind and think about when you're reading Scripture. Because frankly, friends, Flock of the Good Shepherd, what we learn about God, we learn is that God creates from the very beginning. God creates. But then we, we destroy, don't we? God promises to redeem, but we continue to rebel. God becomes man, and man is restored to God. But the means in which God redeems us can seem a bit arbitrary, can't it? Friends, I assure you, it is not. Our Lord God planned from before the creation of the entire cosmos how he would redeem us from our slavery, from our sins. In his infinite knowledge, he planned our salvation down to the very last detail until he could say on that cross, it is finished. Now, throughout the history of humanity, mankind has been privileged to meet its maker from time to time. It all started out in a garden, in the Garden of Eden, where the Lord God specially made Adam and Eve, and even walked with them in the cool of the garden. But our rebellion led to exile. In our newly found shame, the Lord God clothed us himself. How? Through the slaughter of two animals. He himself covered our iniquities and covered the shame of Adam and Eve. And as the centuries progressed, mankind forgot his maker and went off into worshiping man-made items and demons even. 
his situation was so grim. And humanity's evil had grown to such an extent that one would think, why not destroy it all, wipe it out, and start over? And now to a certain extent, that's exactly what happens to the great deluge, the great flood of the earth. But God is also a God who loves his creation, who will not allow evil to overcome his plans. So he saves a family. He saves the only righteous man he finds, Noah. And in his abundance of great mercy, he even saves the entirety of his family, which the scriptures do not say that they were righteous in trying to follow God. But God has mercy and saves his family and saves his creation upon the ark. The world starts anew to a certain extent when Noah and his family leave that ark. Within that ark, as it floated upon the waters, was the hope that the people of God and creation would survive and thrive when they were released from the ark to once again go and hear that command that was given to Adam to multiply and fill the earth, to take care of the earth. But instead, within a chapter of Noah leaving the ark, sin once again strikes. And the reader can see that even when you destroy the vast majority of humanity, but you leave so much as one person around or one family around, and that person continues to carry the infection of sin, the lusts of the flesh, and the enslavement to Satan's kingdom that binds all of us. But hope remains. Because Abraham hears God's promise of salvation, the promise that God would bring salvation and make a people out of him, more stars in the sky, more people would be his lineage and his family than stars are in the sky. And hundreds of years later, we find a multiplied people of God who are enslaved by Pharaoh. A people that is so great and so big that Pharaoh fears them. That the people have been enslaved. But God delivers them through Moses, his intercessor. God promises even one greater than Moses who is coming. And gives the people of Israel a promised land. And makes from the small people a mighty nation people of God go through several leaders known as the judges. And then eventually they demand a king. And God yields to them, although he warns them through Samuel what a king will do. But yields and gives them a king. But sadly, out of these long list of kings, only one of them, even though there's dozens of kings, only one of them is told that he is a man after God's own heart. And that's their second king, King David. And here in the history of mankind is where we enter into the Old Testament lesson for today. The Old Testament lesson from 2 Samuel. Now at this time, we replace the Ark of Noah with the Ark of the Covenant. It was constructed at the command of the Lord God himself with detailed instructions when he spoke with Moses. And only a Levite, that is a descendant of Aaron, Moses' brother, only a Levite, who had been an entire group, an entire tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel, had been set aside, made consecrated to the purposes of serving in God's temple. Well, at this point, excuse me, I got ahead of myself, God's tabernacle, his tent, and serving by offering sacrifices. And only once a year could the high priest go in to where the Ark of the Covenant was. Only these Levites could go in or handle the Ark as the people of Israel were traveling to the Promised Land. And it traveled with the people in their wanderings until they finally reached the promised land. And it was set up in a permanent camp, in the tents, the tents of the tabernacle. 
and it always dwelled in this tent for generations. Because now we've been in the nation of Israel for many generations. The judges have come and gone. King Saul has come and gone. Now King David is here. And King David, in 2 Samuel, we find him wanting to build a house for the Ark of the Covenant, for the Ark of God. Now the Ark of the Covenant, in case you're wondering, it contains within it a golden pot of manna, the heavenly bread that came down and fed Moses and the people in the desert for 40 years. And that should make you think, this is a separate sermon, this heavenly bread of what we do at communion, of the heavenly bread of the body of Jesus Christ that we consider. It also contained Aaron's staff that had budded. And then finally, it also contained tablets of the commandments of God, what we call the Ten Commandments. Now, despite being in the Promised Land for these many generations, the Ark of the Covenant remains in a tent while David is in a lavish palace. And it bothers him. And it rightfully bothers him. He wants to create a home for the Ark, a temple for God. But how often do we want to do something for God, but really it's for ourselves? We want to do something for Him, but He turns it around. And He is doing something far more marvelous and beyond our imagination. And we don't even realize it. This is what happens when King David asks to build the king of the cosmos a house, a temple. Instead, God says, it won't be you, it'll be your son Solomon. Instead, I am going to build you a house, David. I am promising you that your dynasty will never end. That your kingdom will never end. I will build for you, David, a royal house. So God does not make his permanent residence within the temple that's eventually built by David's son Solomon. Indeed, that temple will be destroyed. The people sent off into exile for their sins. The people returned finally after exile, after 70 years. And another temple will be built. And the people would weep, the ones of the old generation who remembered the original temple. And how poor it looked and how it paled in comparison to King Solomon's temple. And even that temple would be destroyed in around 70 AD. But no, our God does not reside in a temple. Instead, our God eventually accomplishes his purposes, his plan, by becoming he himself a descendant of David to establish his throne and his rule forever. God fulfills his own promise is what I'm telling you. The Lord descends to ultimately raise us up. And then when he's raised up in his ascension, he sends down his very own spirit to dwell within our clay bodies and to make our bodies his tabernacle, his home within us. And this indwelling of God within man begins with God becoming starts with a baby in a manger, with God entrusting himself to a young virgin named Mary, who's to give birth to Emmanuel, as Isaiah prophesied. Emmanuel, that is God with us. Given the name Jesus, God saves. And the house that God fills up is a human body. It's through this assuming of humanity that God fulfills the promise that he would dwell with his people. And how the birth of this child, the God-man, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, fulfills also God's promises here in 2 Samuel to King David, that King David's offspring will rule forever, and his kingdom shall have no end. Because we could never build the temple that he deserves. Why? Because he desires to dwell within the ark of Mary's womb and to be carried 
and the child. He desires to be carried in the ark that is you and I by being indwelled in us through the virtue of, by virtue of the Holy Spirit. He desires not a golden temple or a bejeweled display, but he desires to be born a ruddy child, born in the most unlikeliest of places, in the dirtiest of places, the unlikeliest being in the backwaters of a Roman colony, in the dirtiest of places being born in a manger. But it brings to mind what our God tells us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 5, that sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. And Christ Jesus takes it upon himself to unite with us sinners and even sacrifices himself to save us, you and me. As St. Athanasius put it in the 300s, in his classic work on the Incarnation, that God became man so that man might become God. So in effect, God is building his own temple. He promises that David's line will never end and that through David's lineage, that God would build himself a temple. The temple of a living and breathing body, of becoming David's own descendant and taking the throne of King David. And his rule will never end. So what am I trying to impart to you today? On this fourth Sunday of Advent, as we approach Christmas Day, we can feel it, that the ultimate temple our Lord God desires to reside in is in flesh like you and me. And why? Why would our God choose to become man? Why do it this way? So that he may redeem it, redeem our bodies, redeem us from the forces of power and of darkness. This is why God became man, so that he may experience the pain, the suffering, the temptations, the tears, the agony, and yes, even the death that we will eventually experience. So that by his power, that he might and he did conquer them. So that he will be so united with us, that just as he was raised up, so shall we be raised up to new life. And new life, not in the resurrection to come, although that will happen, but new life in the here and now. Because by virtue of him ascending into heaven, and sending down his Holy Spirit at Pentecost, he puts his spirit upon us, so that we can have that new life now. That heaven is breaking through right here and right now in this life, but will not be fulfilled until the second advent. Ultimately, that resurrection brings about new creation, new Genesis. So when we come to meet the Lord Jesus Christ in the manger, we're coming to meet God, not as we expected, not as we demanded, not in a temple of our own making, but in a babe, in a babe, in a union of the Creator with the creature, and a sharing in our sufferings and our temptations in this life. So when you doubt God, and you doubt his goodness. Root yourself upon the fact of the incarnation. That deep theological word that simply means that God the Son stepped down from his glorious heavenly realm. And he descended into earth to become man. So that he might save us and raise us up to be like him. And since God has chosen a human body for his own temple. And then when he ascended into heaven, he sent us his Holy Spirit. Is it any wonder that the scriptures themselves bear witness that our bodies are living temples to God, the Holy Spirit? Therefore, keep a holy and a blessed advent. 
And how do we do that, my friends? By denying ourselves of our uncontrolled passions, of our uncontrolled emotions, by becoming one with the one who came down from heaven, by taking up every discipline to submit our own bodies and our minds to his will and to be governed by his spirit, which dwells in you and I, if by faith we received our baptism. By in faith we trust in him. And in faith, I ask you and encourage you to continue trusting in, with him. And how? By reaching out with your hearts and grasping the one who has created you and asked you to trust in him. Reach out and take a hold of him in our worship today. Take now the blessed body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, here at that realm. And here and now, by faith, be united to him in this simple place where we worship. Come and meet the God of the cosmos right here in this place and continue meeting with him every time you pray, every time you deny yourself, every time you fast, every time you open up the word of God. Because the fact is, you yourself are the manger of the Lord Jesus Christ when you take him in to your body and into your souls by faith. Be made holy by the Holy One. You are being transformed. You are being transfigured. You are being transubstantiated by the One who made heaven and earth. What a glorious plan our God has. What an incredible history. What an incredible way for Him to bring salvation and deliverance to you and I. And what a holy second advent we await. For the one who became a child for us is returning as king. So let us prepare a place for our king. So that when the son of man returns in glory, he will find faith upon the earth. Amen. Thank you again for joining us on the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd, Pelham, Alabama podcast. We hope that you'd visit us in person. We have Sunday worship uh, every Sunday at 1030 in the morning. And you can visit us on our website at www.goodshepherdacna.com or visit us on Facebook at Good Shepherd ACNA. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, please like, subscribe, and rate the podcast. It not only makes us feel better, but more importantly, it helps those who are searching for Anglican podcasts find podcasts like this one and other ones that are out there on the web. Thank you, God bless, and have a good one. The Lord be with you and with thy spirit lift up your hearts we lift them up unto the Lord let us give thanks unto our Lord God it is meet and right so to do.